Will you turn with me, please, to the book of First Chronicles? First Chronicles, chapter four. Can't tell you how good it is to actually be preaching to real life people. Actually, eyeball at eyeball. We've seen you in the cars and through glass. Now we've, we've got you actually in the flesh. And it's wonderful coming in morning and night and, and this, on a Sunday uh, to go live on a Tuesday evening looking at uh, a camera. I was going to say Andrew because he was behind the camera, but I didn't want that to sound bad. Uh, but Andrew behind the camera. And Andrew every time turned up and, dear bless him, he got preached to every time. And, you know, it's just wonderful to see so many here this morning in the house of the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 4, we're going to lift two verses, please. Verse 9 and verse 10. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it might not, may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Eternal Fathers, we settle our hearts in your presence. We thank you, Father, for the cross the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the finished work there. We thank you for his precious shed blood. And we ask you, Father, now that you would continue to speak to our hearts through thy word. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your word would have a free course this morning. As our faces differ, and so do our needs. And Lord, only you can meet the need. Comfort the bereaved. Help those that are down. Strengthen the weak. Heal the sick. Speak to those who need a word in season. And we ask you, Father, when all is said and done, if there's even one this morning who has come here and they're not saved, we pray, Lord, that come the saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, will you bless and encourage your people we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good also this morning to see people who were saved at the drive-in as well on our first night all the way from Oma. The Lord bless you this morning for traveling down. I want to speak this morning on lessons from the prayer of Jabez. Lessons from the prayer of Jabez. You know, Jabez's name means to grieve or to be sorrowful. Let me tell you how this word came about this morning, just briefly. Uh, some weeks ago, uh, Andrew and I were in the church as usual. We were doing the recordings for the, uh, some of the, the sermons we were putting online. And as we were there before, every time we went to uh, record, Andrew at one end of the church and, and I was at the other, we would have prayed together. And that wasn't just a little quick prayer. We really sat to pray and we sat to pray and seek the face of the Lord. We did that every single meeting together. Every single time that we knew we were going to go online, we did that. And one time we went into the church and we were thinking, well, how could we 
socially distance everyone that comes to the church because in our other building, of course, we're sitting almost on top of each other and it just would not be possible whatsoever. And so we were looking and we were setting out some chairs and then leaving a gap and we were measuring it out and we were looking and we couldn't get hardly any amount uh, impacted on the people, the amount of people we could get in. So we sat to pray and Andrew prayed and I prayed and, and uh, I, I prayed this prayer of Jabez. He said, Lord, we need somewhere bigger. I asked you, Lord, to enlarge our coast and uh, Lord, to help us with this. And Andrew amened and prayed with us as well. That was a Thursday evening. On the, on the Saturday morning, Alison and I went out for a walk along the Scarva towpath. We walked from Scarva to Points Pass and back, and we talked about things that were needful, things that we had to maybe think about and pray over. And Alison got out of the blue, and I didn't mention anything that went on in church, said to me, she says, Ken, you know, I can't get the prayer of Jabez out of my head. I'm praying it, and I just thought I would bring it to you. And so as we were walking along, uh, we were thinking and talking about the prayer of Jabez. So then, uh, shortly after that, I receive a phone call from Trevor Turkington. And he says, what are you going to do when you get back and you can't socially distance? How will you get everyone in? And I said, Trevor, here is the problem. I don't know what to do. He said, will you meet me? And he came. we came here, and this place was like a building site, really, here. Can you do anything with this? I said, I think this is maybe a lot of work in this, but leave this with me. I think we could maybe do something. I went home, and to be honest, I'm going, what would I even do with that? How could we even start? Where do we start? So the Sunday evening again then, we were in the drive-in, and after the drive-in on the Sunday evening, I came home. And when I came home, I was walking in the door, and I always, after every meeting, check my phone, because sometimes people talk to me and they say, uh, look, I was at the drive-in, or I was at church and I need someone to talk to you. I'm a, I think God's speaking to me or they've come under conviction or something like that. So I checked my phone and when I checked it there, lo and behold, there was a message from someone. And so it was a lady I didn't know. I'd never met before. And there it was. And, she, and it started off with something like, you know, I was in the drive-in tonight and the Lord spoke to me and gave me a scripture for you. And I'm... I'm sorry to send this, but I think I have to send it, so I'm sending it to you. Here it was in Isaiah 54 and 2, and it says, Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather, for nobody knew about this. And I said, Lord, you are just amazing. And I had to step out. To believe, what are we going to do? You know the whole time, a lot of places are still shut and we're shut. And how would we even start with this? Where would we get it together? And how would, how would this work? And it takes a step of faith. We're trying to organize the, the driving. And now we're going to go into this. And there were other things we had to look at. It's going to take a lot of time. How are we going to make it happen? And this scripture solidified everything that we had been speaking about. Everything the Lord had given us. And I said, right, and I said, we're going for this. Stepped out of the boat. You know the old saying, if you want to walk on water, you what? 
Does anybody know it? What is it? Don't be shy. Shout it out. You've got to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. And Peter wouldn't have walked in water unless he had have gotten out of the boat. And sometimes moving in somewhere where you're not really sure of, but you know God has given you, you've got to do it. If it's from the Lord, you've got to step out and you've got to trust him in it. So we did that. And I put on the brave face and said, right, let's go for this. And we're going to start. And, and lo and behold, it's not perfect. It's not finished. But we're here. We're here. We have this where this morning where others cannot socially distance. And they have had to keep their churches closed because of those things. We are here. And God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. So that's how this message this morning came about. That's how I thought on this. And I said, I've got to pray because it was now dominating my thoughts when we didn't know what we were going to do with no electric, with no running water. You know, there's no heating. There's no this, that, and the other. But we've got, a, we've got an empty room that's like a building site. And it says, Lord, you've said it. We're going to do it. And the Lord has made the way. Notice here, Jabez, it means to grieve or to be sorrowful. What a name to start out with in life. What a title to be spoken over you from your life. Jabez, if you want, in the, in the original Hebrew text, his name isn't Jabez. That's our English rendering. It's Jabez. Jabez. And in this, it's only mentioned four times. His name is only mentioned four times in Scripture. And then we're told of Jabez, he was also the head of a Kilabite family. From Caleb, his family, and now down the line here, Jabez is now a head of a Kilabite family. And we're also told there's a town that was named after him as well. And according to Jewish scholars, they affirm that he was an eminent doctor of the law. So he knew God's word. That is the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. He would have known these things that were then available to him. But here, this man's name stands out right away. His name is Jabez. To grieve, to be sorrowful. The reason behind this is in Israel, you find that the mothers would have named their children either after something that happened at the time of their birth. Or their fathers could name them something that was prophetic over them too. And so in Israel, the names were either something that happened, we name them there, or else prophetic for their life. Now, if this is prophetic for his life, uh, then we have to look and say, why on earth would you call him Jabez or Jabez? Why would you do that? Because this young man who grew up in a prophetic utterance over him, he would be someone with a grieving heart, a sorrowful heart, all his days. And that just wouldn't work, would it? So something has happened, maybe a death at the family, or there's been a, something cataclysmic uh, in the area, but something has happened. And in First Chronicles in chapter 4, and verse 9 it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, be, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. 
So it's more likely that something happened and the mother took him and claimed this name or professed this name over him because of what had happened in their sorrow. And so Jabez is living with an utterance over him. It says Jabez was more honorable, more honorable than his brethren. Now we tend to think of being honorable, something that's good and great, but the, the idea here doesn't necessarily mean that he was better or he was a better in person or he was a more likable sort of a guy. That's not what it means generally here. The word honorable here is a confusing word because it gives the idea of someone who is heavily burdened, who has a great weight upon them, who has a, a dull or severe sense about them. It seems more likely when we think of what has happened, and maybe that has affected him, what has happened in the family, right the whole way down. So Jabez didn't have a very good start in life. Notice if we could show you something else just outside of this. We we look at uh, Genesis 35 and verse 18, for example. And we just want to jump in and out of this little prayer as we go through this. Show you little examples that would just strengthen the case that we're bringing this morning. Uh, Genesis 35, verses 16 and 17 says, Rachel was in hard labor. This is for Benjamin. She was in hard labor in the two verses. And then in verse 18, Genesis 35 and verse 18, listen to what it says. It says, And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. She called him Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni means son of my sorrow. So she's departing, and this word is giving over, given over her son, Benoni, son of my sorrow. His father, Jacob, takes him, and he pronounces a different prophetic utterance over him in his name and calls him Benjamin. Benjamin. Here's something for you to note. For example, and you can write it down, read it when you go home. In 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, you'll read of King Solomon's on the throne. And there's a young man called Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a servant of his and he, he entrusted Jeroboam with he realized then things weren't going too well. Jeroboam flees to Egypt, and at the death of Solomon, Jeroboam comes back out again. And what we find is, is Jeroboam one day is walking uh, uh, with a new coat on him, a new garment on him. And he meets a prophet called Ahijah. And Ahijah takes off his new coat and rents it in to 12 pieces, and he gives 10 pieces to Jeroboam. And he says, the Lord is going to rent the kingdom of Israel in two. There's going to be ten tribes and two tribes. And the Lord hath given thee ten tribes to Jeroboam. That is the ten pieces of the garment. And so he takes this. He says, there's two tribes will be left in Jerusalem. One be the tribe of David. That is the tribe of Judah. And the second tribe, he says, it's called the tribe to bring light. Now, 
I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. So you can read all of this when you go home. And so it was Benjamin that stayed with Judah right the whole way through the Bible in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom split away. Jeroboam became the king of Samaria in the north of Israel. And they had a different kingdom. And we read of Amos going to prophesy to him. And Elijah prophesied to the northern kingdom. And Elisha prophesied to the northern kingdom. And to the southern kingdom, we have uh, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so on. And through this time, there was Judah and Benjamin. Now remember, when Benjamin is born, his mother calls him son of my sorrow. It's not a very good beginning. But rather, when he is his father changes his name to Benjamin he calls him son of my right hand son of my right hand and you know what the right hand stands for in the scripture the right hand stands for one for fellowship and two for authority power and strength and so Benjamin was the father's right hand father's strength And so the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, when he was buried, when he rose again the third day, and when he ascended up to heaven, was glorified, we're told he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of God, meaning the Lord Jesus is in the place of all power and authority and in full relationship with the Father. And you and I, you and I have that same thing. For example... The, 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 uh, uh, the prophet David or King David when he writes in Psalm 116 I think it's the last verse I just can't remember the number at the minute and he, and he writes in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore and this is what he's saying at thy right hand there are is fullness of joy uh, the, the right hand gives the idea he says in your presence in your, the place of your face is turned It means when that bit which turns, so if we go to a a roadway and we're looking, turning the face, it's called the ponym. The ponym of God is when we worship, God is a spirit and God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. And yet when we worship, it seems as though he visits, yet he's everywhere at once. That's the ponym, the face of God. God's face, as it were, turns for the worship of his children. And here, David says, in your presence, or the words ponim, at your face, there is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Christian, you and I have the right hand of God. We're in fellowship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in fellowship with your father. You've been reconciled back to him at the cross. And you walk in the fullness of that fellowship in Christ. But we also not only have fellowship, we also have the authority of his word. We have the authority and the fellowship of the Father here on the earth. We are the body of Christ, believer. I was talking to someone just yesterday, and they were down at the back here when we were just tidying up a bit. And on the way out, they were doing, it was Noel actually, he was doing something down the back with these electric parts. And I know nothing about it, it frightens me. And I says, you know, I, I, I know nothing about that. He says, well, I can't get up there and preach either. I said, well, then we're all in the body. We all do our bit. None lesser nor none more. 
You're in fellowship with God. You're in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, Christian, must start believing that. You must start taking that in and believing. If you're saved and blood-washed and blood-bought, then you must start believing. I'm a child of God. I belong to the king. Notice here, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. We have his pleasures. We have his, his fellowship. We have all of that in Christ. It's his face we want to seek. Seek ye my face, he says. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. So notice here, Benjamin becomes what's known as, in 1 Kings 11, the light-bearing tribe. The Lord said, I will give one tribe for a light always before David's sake. So Judah, the tribe where David came from, he had a light with him. And Benjamin is put along with Judah the whole way through the scripture. And so when you get there, you'll realize the one who had this bad start, son of my sorrow, ends up with a great blessing. Not only because he's now aligned with Judah, but when we get into the New Testament, into the New Covenant, this is what we find, that almost every one of the uh, original disciples or apostles, uh, they almost to a man, except for Judas Iscariot and possibly uh, Matthew, they were all from the tribe of Benjamin, from Galilee. Paul the Apostle said he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And what did they do? They came and went filled with the Holy Ghost in the upper room. They went forth preaching Jesus and him crucified preaching the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as they went preaching, there were signs followed the word of God. Why? Because they were filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost and power. These are Benjaminites. What a bad start and what a great ending as it were. These people were the ones who went. What were they doing? They were the light-bearing tribe who carried the word of God to all the four corners, as it were, of the earth. They're the ones who held, preached the blood in the book originally. They're the ones who seen signs and miraculous wonders. And here he is with a bad start. And now his, his progenitor, his, his seed has a great ending. Gone on to serve the Lord. So whenever we think of this, Hold to this thought, brother, and hold to this thought, sister, because a bad start doesn't have to dominate your present. Went quiet there, didn't it? A bad start doesn't have to dominate your present. And it certainly does not have to determine your future. Maybe you've had a bad prophetic thing over you when you were born, as it were. Maybe you were born into a bad system and a bad state. Maybe you were born into a, 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 a place where even family things weren't right and they weren't great and you got a bad start from it. Don't let it dominate your present if you're a child of God. 
You're a child of the king. You're blood washed. You're blood bought. And you belong to Christ. And listen, you are reconciled to your father. He loves you. He sent the son for you. He shed his blood for you. He rose for you. He's praying for you in the glory. And hallelujah, he's coming back again for you. Come on, church. Are you going to say praise the Lord? Is I said, not encourage you to know you're in Christ. Your past does not have to dominate your present. And your present, because of a bad past, does not have to determine your future, child of God. I'm speaking to the blood wash now. If you're not saved, your past is still with you. Your sin is still on you. And you need saved and blood washed. Every time we allow our past to determine and to dominate our present and determine our future, every time we allow that, this is what we deem that has happened. We are allowing it to victimize us again when you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. You're allowing it to take your joy and to rob you of that which Christ has given you. You must know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So we have this man, Jabez, with a bad start. If he was honorable in the sense he had a great burden, a great weight, he certainly ended up better by the end of this prayer. Jabez, grieving, sorrow, past, past life, past events, past circumstances. And again, his name is only mentioned four times. Imagine that. How great is that when Paul wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament? Well, sure, his name's only mentioned four times. Listen, if your name's mentioned once, your name is mentioned once in the scripture that's enough can I tell you something child of God your name is written in the Lamb's book of life your name is written in heaven the father knows your name so here we find even though his name is only mentioned four times in scripture we find even this morning, or now I think it may be afternoon, we find that we're still talking about him today. I think as well of just four times, that's not much. Listen, talk about the not much. In Mark chapter 14, we'll not read it all, but I'm just going to pick a, a verse out because we haven't time. But read it when you go home, verses 1 to 9. We have the woman coming to anoint the Lord Jesus. He's coming up to, it's the week when Calvary is going to happen. And it's going to be a, a, a couple of days time he's going to be hanging on the cross. And he's in the house of Simon the leper. And many people think that this is, uh, is also, the, the Mary mentioned here is Mary, the, the sister of Martha and sister of Lazarus. 
And you know, she comes and she gets an alabaster box of spikenard ointment that's very precious. And she breaks it and anoints the head, the beautiful head of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that when she does that, that the, the disciples are standing there with their mouths open, as it were. And old Judas Iscariot, what is it he says? This could have been sold and given to the poor. You know why? Because it was in Bethany. Bethany had a massive poor house in it. That's what he was thinking of. What a waste on Jesus. Why not sell it and give it to the poor? Jesus says, let her alone. I can tell you something, brother and sister. You know, I don't know. You know, you have these time moments throughout your walk and your Christian walk. And maybe things and, and people are, sometimes they're against you. Who lot are against me? But there you go. I don't really care. That's the truth. My calling is to serve the Lord. And this woman didn't care what anybody said. She didn't care. She came and she broke the alabaster box of oil over the Savior's head. And as that very precious ointment ran down him, old Judas Iscariot didn't want that lavished on Christ. Shows the heart, doesn't it? See the man and woman who tell you, or even profess to be Christians, say, you go into this Jesus thing too much. Examine the heart. You can never, ever have enough of Christ. Leave her alone. See when the enemy comes against you. Do you see whenever there's maybe a, a somebody in town or a brother or sister or somebody doesn't even know you and they're giving it all that about you, you know? Would I tell you something? See when they've got this, that, the knives out for your back and they're coming with, and you're worried about what's going to happen next. Listen, child of God, you know what he says? Leave them alone. Leave her alone. And you may say to people, leave me alone and they continue on in it. But I can tell you something. See when the Lord says, leave them alone. His word means authority. And he takes the dealing. He says, let her alone. And he says, for she hath God wrought a good work on me. A good work. See the word good? I'm just sidetracking for a little moment. See the word good? Two main words in the Greek text. One is kelos. And the other is agathos. And if Jesus used agathos, it means morally good. There's things that must be done because it's morally good. But because it's morally good, it doesn't always look right. That's why the world doesn't understand it when we want to go by the moral commandment of the Lord. It looks hard. It looks like it's ingrained bitterness at times because we, we say, no, the Ten Commandments of the moral law of God is good and morally we must walk in that people don't like it's hard telos means not only morally good but it means beautiful beautiful the word the Lord Jesus used when this woman did this was telos let her alone she's wrought a a good work a, a beautiful thing in me You know, you can be morally right and do it with a heart of grudging because it's morally right. 
or you can do it morally right and just love anyhow. Something beautiful from the heart. Here's the thing about this. The Lord Jesus Christ was sitting in a room full of disciples. No disciples comes from disciplined ones. Full of disciples. And there he was. His mind is consumed by Calvary. His mind is consumed by the cross. His mind is consumed with all that would uh, and take in and encompass him. His mind is consumed with, he knew he came to do exactly what he was doing, but his mind was consumed with it, sitting in a house, and not one of them, not one of them noticed it, nor took note of it. How hard can the Christian heart be when it comes to the things of Christ? Not one of them noticed. You see, brothers, sisters, sometimes our hearts can become so calloused and hard and fat and greased up that no longer is there a beauty about Christ. We've lost that wonderful beauty of him and we do it because well we're just we're saved and that's what we do brother sister start to ask the Lord to soften you soften my heart Lord make my heart pliable and workable this woman came oh brother we can we can say all we want about women's place in church but this woman came and broke the box over his head when the men were too busy wanting to know where they were in the kingdom of God. Where's my place? This woman said, I love him. Saw the consternation on the face of Christ. Saw it. She felt it. And a year's wages worth of oil at least meant nothing to break it and give it to him. She did it once. And the heart that was poured out was it was manifest in the oil that was poured out. Notice this. In Mark 14 and 9, it says, Wheresoever, he says, Wheresoever the gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for a memorial of her. Imagine that one act with the right motive in the heart. Supported out over the Savior and he never forgot her. You're not forgotten, brother, sister. He never forgets. He never forgets the love. He never forgets the motive. He never forgets. The simple act of worship from the heart of this woman touched the heart of Christ. I'll say it again. I want you to get it. And if we hear anything, I don't know, I've went off kilter as I usually do and maybe have to come back to this another morning. But I want you to hear this. If you hear anything, this is not just for women. This is for all of us. My heart too. A simple act of worship from the heart of a woman touched the heart of Christ. Touched the heart of Christ more than all the thoughtless, heartless bluster among the disciples who were sitting there by him. 
your simple act of love and worship for him and the right motive here on this earth will touch the heart of Christ. A heart of worship speaks louder in heaven than a head of knowledge. That's what I wrote. A heart of worship speaks louder in heaven than a head full of knowledge. Some people have a head, a forehead, yes, even bigger than mine. Used to be a wee woman when I pastored in Dublin. Fifteen or so years ago, whatever it was, more. And she used to come up to me. She was a high, wee small woman. We called her an ad. She came up to me one time, she says, with a wee Dublin brogue, she says, Pastor, she had done that on my head. Actually touched it and done that. I think that's all full of brains in there. I think that's all full of brains. Some people in their heads are even bigger than mine. It's all full of brains and all knowledge. But there's nothing of the Spirit. There's nothing of the Spirit of Christ. Of the grace. Of the loveliness of Him. Of the beauty of Christ. Head knowledge, heart knowledge. If we leave here today with anything, ask the Lord to soften our hearts. Show devotion, brother, sister, and don't get distracted. Remember this house, Mary and Martha. Martha's always cumbered about serving Mary. You read John 11, you'll read about that. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. If this be the same Mary, then now she's pouring out an alabaster box of spikenard, very precious ointment. She's done what she could, he said. He doesn't expect you to do more than he gives you. Show devotion and don't get distracted, brother, sister. Sometimes we can be busy with the work of the Lord and be distracted from the Lord of the work. I had to tell myself that when we were doing this. Some of us were here morning, noon, and night, the 11 o'clock at night for many, many nights. You coughed and dust came out your mouth nearly, you know, it was, it was that dusty and bad. It's easy to get distracted running, doing the work of the Lord and you forget the Lord off the work. Don't get distracted. It may well be said, this woman saw more in the spirit. Notice, this woman saw more in the spirit at that moment in that house than all the others could see in their distracted minds. Their selfish heads and their dead, pretentious mindsets were fixed on themselves, speaking to one another about who's going to be the best. And Jesus is sitting there, thinking about Calvary. The cross was on his mind.
It was two days to Passover and the Lamb of God would be slain. Mary noticed him. And this moment, this moment was recorded in Scripture. This moment is recorded in heaven. This moment will be remembered forever. For Jesus says, this moment, what she hath done, this one act, was written in the Word. And we're talking about it this morning. Brothers and sisters, keep serving. I feel God's word is speaking this morning. I feel God's word is reaching people this morning. Jabez may only be mentioned four times in three verses in the whole of Holy Writ. But here we are talking about him. Remember, it's quality, not quantity. Some ministries are long service ministries are long and go wrong but a one time act one move of the Holy Spirit is worth more than every work from the carnal heart of man the Holy Spirit of God moving once just once is more than every single one of us could do. Throughout our whole lives, we can attend to nothing. But when he moves, things change. Things happen. Jabez made his mark in society and in life he is the head of a Calebite family. He's a doctor of the law. And a town of Judah was allegedly named after him. I'm going to close here and maybe do, if the Lord leads me to do another. I haven't even touched the prayer yet. But anybody that knows me, that's just the way it goes. Here's what I'm going to say to you. And I've written this just at the top of the flyleaf there, I don't even remember writing it whenever I wrote it some years ago. I don't know when it was. And this is what I want to say, but this is when you know God is in it. You know when you've got the word of the Lord. Attempt something large enough that failure is guaranteed unless God steps in. I'm going to say it again. Attempt something large enough that failure is guaranteed unless God steps in. Tell you why, because then you'll know it's not of you. Because we tend to put our hand to the plow. We tend to be like Uzzah, to put our hand to the Ark of the Covenant to steady it when it doesn't need it. So brothers and sisters, let's go out this morning saying, one, I am not going to allow my past to determine whatever's happened, the pain of it, the hurt of it, to determine my, my future, nor to dominate my present. Two, I'm going to ask the Lord, will he soften my heart and fill me afresh with the Spirit? And three, when I have the Word of God, I am going to attempt something large enough 
that it's destined to fail unless God steps in. Say this and I'll finish. Eight years, this month, actually, the end of this month, eight years ago, we were in, a, a, we were in a, a, another, another church. And at that time, there was maybe 40, 50 of us, maybe. Roughly. And we got this idea we are going to have a, a tent mission. And so where we live in Donnacrony, the school, I went to see the school and the, uh, the, the education board and, uh, and whoever I needed to see. And they eventually let us use their playing fields. In fact, we used the whole grounds of the school. And it was just meant to be a small tent and we couldn't get the whole of one. And then all of a sudden, the army were going to give us a tent that held 200 people. It was in Cyprus, and they were saying that they were coming home from Cyprus to be bringing this tent over, and we could have this tent. But unfortunately, before they took it down, they drove a tank through it. So that was the end of the tent. We ended up having to rent the tent. Excuse me, pardon the, 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 we had to rent the tent. And when we got the tent, we near died off because we didn't think it was so big. A thousand people would fit into it. My head started to explode. And by the time everything, all the money was coming together, we had no money. 15,000 pound bill now was there, mounted up. Without money, 15,000 pound. Some of you were there. Some of you are still with me from then. But we labored, we worked on, and we prayed about it. We had a Friday night for youth, and there was a few hundred, 400 or more came. Saturday, we had a big day where there was all sorts of events happening, and and then on Saturday night, we had an event. There was maybe a bit more than that came. And Sunday morning, we had our church in the, our, our meeting in the church. And we thought, we'll go up at night and we'll have our meeting here. Hardly anyone's going to turn out. Talk about lack of faith. Hardly anyone will turn out because they'll all be at their church. So we went to the church. And when we got there, we started preparing for a little group of us in this big thousand-seater tent. And the bills are still mounting up, and I'm thinking, nobody knows how much this is costing. And of course, it comes back to the pastor's door every time something's happening. He says, Lord, you need to do something here. I, I, I don't know what to do. And that Sunday night, we had 800 chairs out, and a little bit fenced off for a little room area. We had 800 chairs out, and every chair was filled Every chair was filled. Now listen, we're not finished. We're having a healing service to pray for the sick. We had a healing service and there was a woman from a Baptist church in Newton Ards, I think, was it? Newton Ards? Newton Ards. We says, come up if you want prayed for her. We just prayed for her. And the Lord had a, this uh, bad heart with, and wouldn't go to the right beat with uh, Chinese pacemakers, couldn't get it. The Lord healed her and two rows back. The woman from our church who was really ill with it, same thing was healed at the same time. Jesus is the same, brothers and sisters, yesterday and today and forever. A wee boy came from the Presbyterian church with his mommy and his daddy with one foot turned in like this slightly and he kept tripping himself up when he kicked his leg and he kept trouble. So he's gone in that week for an operation to have his leg broken straightened again. 
straightened again. We prayed for him, and he never needed the operation. Straightened out. His sister had 26 violent asthmatic attacks in the one year and was in hospital 26 times that year. And it was only July. The Lord healed her. She hasn't had one since it. And she's still alive and doing well. Mom, brothers and sisters, what do you say? Is that God doing this? Don't be shy. We give him the glory. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. Sometimes things look impossible, but when you know it's of the Lord, you step out into it. And listen, if it's not of the Lord, you're going to find out you're in trouble. So make sure it's of the Lord. I can tell you many more stories. Many, many more stories of that one weekend. Of that one night that the Lord touched. He's the same yesterday. What is it? Would you say it all together? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know why it's the ands in there? People do say yesterday, today, forever. That's not the way it reads. Not even in the Greek text, it doesn't read like that. It goes like this. It emphasizes who he is. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. That's the way it goes. And we go, Jesus Christ, I see him yesterday, today and forever. It's not the way it reads. He's the same. He's the same. God bless his word to us this morning. I trust you'll leave here the better for it. For his name's sake.